This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited to be back. Happy New Year. It is 2022. That's a weird thing to say now that I say it out loud. That's the first time I think I've had to say it. I didn't see anyone on New Year's. Yeah, you know what? It is. It's 2022 and we're back. Yeah. And you know what? I would say, you know, you always say you're fired up, but for the last three months of 2021, you didn't look fired up. I mean, you looked healthy you've yeah. been doing all your my my, your, my yoga my your, uh, 45 your stretching all, yeah. all these things my, but now my you look beach fi- body you look, my fi- you look fired up you look fired up right well here's the thing matt we're I not actually, burnt out is what i'm trying to say we we took a proper break from the podcast and and you know what we've been doing this now almost six years i think we have oh, not, no, not really years, taken yeah. off more than about two weeks off the show. And, you know, occasionally we'll do the, you know, happy holidays from the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. But realistically, we have been producing content on a weekly basis for over, Long time. yeah, almost 300 uh, weeks. I feel like if I, <laughs> yeah, if I could do it all over again, I might, I might do seasons. You might do seasons. <laughs> oh, interesting concept. I didn't even know. I guess that's yeah, why that's people a, do seasons. I know this is a thing, right? And yeah. we, we're saying 52 weeks a year, we're going to do this. And uh, you know what? I think two, three weeks off at the, at the holidays is not not a bad thing. Yeah. And I'm more excited about the show now than I've been in a long time. Absolutely. And I was extremely excited before I left. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and we appreciate everybody reaching out, wondering where we were. 
And uh, yeah, the answer I'll tell is you we where, were, I, were, where yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you had maybe one of the best holidays. I use your holiday to make me feel good about my holiday. Yeah, you know what? I think my holiday should make everyone feel good about their holiday. So for those of you who don't know, which you is got COVID. probably most, yeah, COVID, but it, it's better than that or, or worse. Right. Going to Winnipeg over the holidays. Okay. It was exceedingly cold. I hardly got outside, but it was it was very, very cold, which is not abnormal, I guess, for Winnipeg. But lots of family there, going to see family and cousins and things. Very excited. Haven't been for a long time. We fly out on the 19th. You know, everybody asks you, where did you get COVID? I'm pretty sure I got it on the plane to Winnipeg. Symptoms, basically. You, wait, how would you get it on? Did you, were you wearing... No, your, no, I was wearing, I was wearing, you're wearing all the proper, your N95. I, I had the N95 <laughs> no, on, you but, don't. You're, but you're packed in there. And, and, uh, I, I don't know. It seemed like people, it felt like the old days where, you know, people are sniffling and coughing and you're like, what's going on here? Why? I, I don't know. It just on the way specifically to Winnipeg, I remember thinking this feels a little loose. That was right at the time though, when everybody was probably Starting to feel sick, symptoms. Exactly. Just no, we even with the doing their their regular behavior, being safe or whatever, you were like perfect timing. We yeah. So we rode that the Omicron wave right into Winnipeg. Almost immediately started feeling ill, and it wasn't. It was uh, luckily for us. It was. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. But imagine this: we have so my wife's sisters live in Winnipeg. Her parents live in Winnipeg. And then our, our old man lives in Winnipeg. Sure. And I went to get tested and I got a rapid test and she comes out. She says, calls this is the my woman. Name. This the is nurse. the woman who did the test. Yeah. She comes out and she says, come with me. And she starts joking with another woman. Oh yeah. Hey, ha ha. She's laughing. And I'm like, okay, this is probably a good, this that's is a good positive. Then she walks me into an office with another woman. Hey, I got it signed this time. And she's like, oh, some joke. And they're killing themselves laughing. So it's like I, a lot of office banter. It, it feels good. It was feeling, I was feeling good. I was You're feeling, feeling good. good about my chances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, this is all looking good, right? Yeah. Uh, and then she turned to me and immediately went into bedside manner. I'm sorry, sir. You have COVID. It was... Uh, what, what is she? Yeah. Is she wearing a mask? Is this? No, I mean, they are doing God's work. Okay. Eh? Cause I was like, I'm terrified to be in there. And I had, go. I was the guy in there with COVID. Yeah. Um, she did have a mask on. They didn't seem too concerned, but yeah. So they say you have COVID, you have to self-isolate for 10 days. In Winnipeg. In Winnipeg. Okay. But imagine this, our old man, 70 plus. Not to give it away. Not to give it away. Looks, uh, doesn't look a day over no, 60. No one else is sick there. Yeah. I said to her, I was like, I don't have anywhere to go. Right. Like, I can't get on a plane and go home. I actually was thinking, can I rent a car and drive back to Vancouver? I don't know. And uh, she says, well, we might be able to get you into the COVID hotel, which sounded terrible. Uh, what is the COVID hotel? I th it, Honestly, in Winnipeg, I think this is a hotel in which mainly people flying up north that live in northern Manitoba, hmm. they get tested because they don't want anybody to send COVID up north. They get tested on the way out and anyone who has COVID goes to the hotel. So yeah, it just didn't seem like the place I wanted to be. I've since over, over Christmas, people in, in Mexican, what do they call that? Mexican, uh, what the, you mean the Montreal influencers on the, is that? The, yeah, no, but actually there's been a couple people I've, well, my wife knows in, from Vancouver who ended up in the, uh, in the, COVID jail and in, in, in the resort COVID jail. Really? Haven't you? I I can't believe I haven't so told wait, you. So wait, you're stuck. I feel like everybody stuck I know on has a COVID. stuck on a resort. Yeah, 
Oh, on a separate oh. floor. Okay. You can't even go on the balcony. Oh, wow. So you're stuck in the room at yeah. the resort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, That's torture, too. Yeah. No, no, no. So, What's worse? It's 50 below outside or like 30 above. And, and you like, can't leave the air-conditioned room. Yeah. The thing is, I, I actually think Mexico would be worse because they were in a room and there was apparently guards. They were being guarded. Holy. And uh, somebody would walk up and deliver them food three times a day. Like, here's like prison food. Like, here's your... Well, it's from the tacos. So, so that's that's when you wish you would have up oh from a three star. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, this two and a half star. Is oh business. my god, uh, that food's unbearable. When and you're... apparently, my wife and no, no booze, no nothing. It's just like I presume. Well, you shouldn't. Sick. You shouldn't be boozing when you have COVID, regardless. But but I think this a ten days in a Mexican COVID jail. Uh, anyway, hard, hard not to booze. It's hard. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I'm like, I, what am I gonna do? Right. Okay. What am I going to do? It's the 20, the early 21st, 22nd. I'm immediately like, I've made a huge mistake. My wife's sister basically took one for the team. and was like, come stay with us. We'll all get COVID, which everybody did. And uh, 10 days in isolation, had to change my flight home. And then we flew back to Vancouver. Wow. So I basically flew to Winnipeg, isolated in somebody else's basement for 10 days and then flew back. That's a bad, uh, that's a bad holiday. That's a holiday that maybe some people are familiar with, though. I feel like I, yeah, that, I don't want to. I feel like you're not the only one who. Uh, who I'd did usually that. say world's smallest violin, but it might be actually a medium-sized violin. In and this we case. we just got off a call with Kyle Green from the Green Mortgage Team, who's a good friend of the show, currently and has uh, currently has COVID. He took the call from his office at home, quarantining. This is this is it's going around. It's uh it's definitely making its way like, around. I feel like I would would have been worried about being stigmatized six months ago, but now I'm right. open with what happened. You are. Uh, we have a fantastic show. I'm super excited about today's episode. What a way to start the new year for the VREP community and on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We've got Simon Bray from REW. He is the president of REW. And uh, he's back kind of by popular demand because we've had so much great feedback about a show we had with Simon about six months ago where we did a lot of forecasting. And what we're really using is, is the data that, that REW is collecting to identify where kind of the highest search number of searches are coming for real estate, which then in turn tells us kind of where, which markets are kind of set to explode. And this data is phenomenal. We cover the whole gamut today. We, we look at the whole lower mainland. We look at BC in general. And then there's also some super exciting announcements about REW. Game changer episode. Game changer episode. Simon is such a smart guy. Always great to have him on the show. Past guest fan favorite. Right. So many insights. This is the thing, you know, you, you don't really think about as much, but, you know, where they're generating people, you know, essentially leads, where people are wanting more information about listings, where people are searching, they're tracking everything. Interprovincial migration. Yeah. This is the finger on the pulse What's going on right now is going to translate into activity in the real estate market in the next couple months. That is for sure. So it's great to have Simon on as the first guest of the 2022 and, uh, and that big brand announcement. Yeah, it's fantastic. And we cover the top areas for the lower mainland and BC. Where should you put your money? Where, if you're a buyer, should you be looking? And uh, if you're a seller, are you living in one of these areas? Do you already own in this area? This is a very exciting episode. Simon Bray, REW 2022. 
Let's go. But before we get to that, Adam, this week we are sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city. Just talking to a developer who is just singing the praises of Oakland. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the reputation is astounding. But more importantly, for new agents, aspiring agents, people just in the industry just looking to make a change, the culture at Oakland is phenomenal. If you are interested in learning more, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. That is oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. Not only will you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, still can't believe we still are using 2020 as the yeah. uh, the branding, but you'll get to meet all those guys and learn more and get a huge incentive for going to oakland.com slash join VRP2020. Absolutely. It's a great place to be. And uh, if you are a new agent looking to join a brokerage, or if you're somebody looking to make a change, absolutely check out Oakland. Fired up right now, Matt. I want to get to this interview. This is a great conversation. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Simon Bray. He is the president of REW. How you doing, Simon? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Matt. Adam, good to be uh, back in the swing of things for 2022. Bumpy start with everything going on around us, but looking forward to a good year. Yeah, no no kidding. And unfortunately, we couldn't have you back uh, in the studio this time, but thanks, Simon, so much for, for taking the time. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, always good to chat to you guys. Yeah. And Simon, we should say, um, you know, we usually ask people to tell us about yourself, but you were on the show quite recently and uh, we had a fantastic episode where we kind of talked about all the all the data available at REW and and how it kind of informs the direction of the market and up and coming areas. So we had a good chat. So if someone hasn't actually listened to that episode, you should definitely go back and listen to the first episode with Simon Bray. But we wanted to actually have you back because there were so many great takeaways from that episode. And we're at the beginning of the year here. And so what better time to, to bring you back on and, and have a chat? And maybe as a starting, like a launching point, you know, most people think of REW as a, as a great resource for searching real estate in, in the lower mainland and in BC. But why is REW useful as a data source? And what can it tell us about the real estate market? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think those two are... are completely connected concepts you know why why are we a great data source why can we generate some insight for the market well it's it's completely related to the fact that people do use us as a search platform and you know we're privileged to have the majority of british columbians that are looking for a new home start their search on our platform and that gives us a lot of insight into what they're looking for uh, what their concerns are uh, you know, what the issues people are, are trying to address through their home search look like. And so if we package those into insights and data, it's just a useful way for us to present some of that insight back to the industry or back to uh, spectators on the real estate uh, market and, and help guide, I guess, the way they think about the market and how it's going to evolve in the next few months. And in terms of actually, and we talked about this a little bit last time, but I'm wondering if there's any any kind of changes to this, because that was one of the big things I left that conversation thinking about was just how much information REW has and how useful it could be to various stakeholders in the industry. Are you actually repackaging that that data and basically making it available to people at this point? Well, I mean, if you go to the site, you'll obviously see a lot more real estate insight and data than just the latest listings in your market. 
you know, we already do, I think, a pretty pretty good job of aggregating data from multiple sources. Yeah, we've got assessment data in there. We've got sold data. We've got agent data and kind of their activities in the market. And we've got the listings themselves from across uh, rentals, new homes, uh, MLS listings, uh, and, a, and a bunch of different categories that matter. So already we do a pretty hard job just aggregating the market into one place. But the type of insight you're talking about around the kind of behavioral analytics and how people engage with the site, you know, how long they spend looking at certain inventory types or certain uh, data sources that we provide, that information is not really publicly available. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's great to talk about with the likes of yourselves because we can draw insights and, and have discussions about it. But we are, I guess, you know, in a bit of a skunk works phase, looking at how we can package that information in consumable bytes and offer it back to the real estate market because we know how valuable and vital it can be to, you know, investment decisions and even just, you know, which home is the right home for you to buy when you're engaged in your home search. So, yeah, put it this way, this kind of conversation is probably the easiest way to unpack some of that for us right now but we are working on tools and dynamic ways to engage with that content. Last time we talked to you, I feel like uh, we were in a, a different place with COVID. We were sitting around a table. A more optimistic place. A more maybe. optimistic place. Uh, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was maybe a, a worse strain, but it felt like we were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel here. And now we're kind of all back to, you know, we're in these kind of consistent cycles of COVID how has COVID impacted REW and what have you learned from the changing dynamics of COVID over the past, you know, call it 18 months, two years? Yeah, you're 100% right. I remember chatting to you guys and maybe it was just the fact that it was summer and uh, we were enjoying the, the good weather and we hadn't had a number of record-breaking weather events uh, to compound our, our COVID misery. Right, right. But we were definitely way more optimistic, weren't we? And now it feels like we're at the outset of this year. We all want it desperately to be a great year, but we also feel this growing, I guess, frustration and cynicism related, not just to COVID, but to some of the other indicators that we see around us. So it is a bit of a challenging time. COVID and the waves that we've gone through you know, at the beginning, no one would have suggested that it would have kind of fluctuated, you know, risen and fallen back and risen and fallen back the way it's done. And in some respect, those patterns are more predictable than what we've seen in the real estate market. I mean, the real estate market, as you guys know, has just been a roller coaster. Uh, and if I look at how the search trends have evolved over the last two years, it's stuff that you would never have been able to predict, and it makes it very difficult at the outset of this year to predict what it's going to do next. But the one thing we've definitely learned from the pandemic is just how important real estate is to people and how much more needs to be done to help people you know, enter the market and prosper in this crazy market that we see at the moment. It really does matter to people, this concept of home ownership. Canadians and, and British Columbians in particular are spending more and more of their gross income on real estate as a category and, and the home that they live in in particular. And so we've got to figure out solutions to support that evolving trend. You know, one thing that is that I've just been thinking about lately is the idea of how important home ownership is to Canadians and how it seems with millennials and and 
Gen Z and whatever the next generation is, it actually seems like it's as important, if not more important, like the the price escalation and the and the challenges are not making people think, hey, I'm going to be a lifelong renter. It's it's just the opposite, actually. Um, you know, thinking about other places in the world, and, and of course, last time we had you on, we talked about kind of your growing up in South Africa. And I know in, say, Germany, it's it's a, they have a different relationship to home ownership. Just being in different markets around the world, are, have, is Canada unique in your mind in, in kind of this, the demand for, for owning your own home? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I would say the um, intensity of that desire to own your own home is somewhat unique to Canada. I think there are some other markets. I think New Zealand is one of those as well, where home ownership is is a rite of passage. But certainly, my sense in in Canada is that home ownership is is seen as the base of the of the financial pyramid for a lot of people, and it's also just important to their as a cultural reference point, you know, it's like you kind of knit yourself into your neighborhood and your society as a result of home ownership. And I'm not saying whether that's, you know, right or wrong, but definitely in Canada, that's more intensely felt than in some of the other markets you mentioned and and other markets I've been part of. And so it really is important to the makeup of Canada as a society. And it's certainly important to the people that are on our site, you know, millions and millions of them are engaging with real estate you mentioned millennials, but it's now even younger than, than millennials. You know, we're talking about huge growth in traffic from people ages, you know, 20 to 30. In some of those demographic groups, we're seeing like four times increase in traffic from those groups over the last two years. So there really does feel like, you know, the younger generations want home ownership just as much as previous generations. Uh, despite the extraordinary financial hurdles that that creates for them. You know, it's not an easy asset class to join when you've been out of the market. If you've ridden the waves of home equity increases over the last 10 years, even just the last 10 years, you're in a much better position to buy a home than somebody that's coming into the market from outside. So yeah, to answer your question, it is really important to, to Canada and it is far more important to Canadians than to other populations I've been exposed to in other parts of, of the world. This is more of just an observation, but it's it's interesting because I remember, I can't remember the study, but there's a, a, a high percentage of Canadians basically just responded that the most important reason that they wanted to get into the housing market was stability. And, you know, even thinking outside of the investment strategy. So when you think about like just as as stability, I wonder what what impact our rental market just even has on people's desire to just own their home in Canada versus potentially other other markets. But that's the one thing that kind of stands out to me right now when you when we're speaking to young people that want to get into this market is is ideally they they want to get some roots down fundamentally. And and what we're also seeing right now is it's obviously one of the most challenging markets since we've been in real estate over a decade that we've seen to, to buy in, especially for young people. Yeah. And it's based on you know inventory, but also the price points we're experiencing. Last time we spoke about millennials being the largest group entering the market, obviously it's an incredibly hard time to buy. Where are millennials looking and, and what are they looking for at the moment, based and, and on e- and even that younger generation that seems to be uh, flocking to REW. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that certainty and stability concept that you spoke of is is very very true. I mean, 
at the end of the day, you know, housing sits right at the base of that Maslow's pyramid of, of uh, hierarchy of needs, isn't it? It's like safety, security, shelter, roof over my head is important to all of us. And in a market like, especially Metro uh, Vancouver or Toronto, you've got such a supply constraint. And I know you guys, you know, we can probably unpack what that really looks like and get into the details of it. But that supply constraint is not exclusive to buying a home. It's also felt in renting a home. And so even if you're in the rental market, even if uh, you're not yet considering home ownership, you've got the same challenges at finding suitable accommodation. And that pressure that comes from not really being able to live in a place that you want to live or not knowing where you would move to next, that's driving that need, I think, for certainty and for stability that you described. But yeah, talking about the younger generations on our site, it's, it's very cool to see how much adoption we've seen from that market. In fact, it's very much informing our future plans. It's informing uh, some cool announcements that I'm going to share with you a little bit later on in the show. But uh, where are they looking right now? They're really looking for those pockets of opportunity, those pockets that offer them good value. And there aren't very many of those pockets left. But um, you're talking about you know, areas like Delta, Port Coquitlam, Abbotsford, and Langley, but you're not even looking at freestanding homes. You're looking at the affordable opportunities in those neighborhoods. So it's things like the apartments and condos in Delta, Port Coquitlam, Abbotsford, and Langley. And I don't know if you guys, you know, are that aware of the inventory mix in those neighborhoods, but apartments and condos are not high on the list sure. uh, of availability in those markets. But but that's really where we're seeing a huge demand from that demographic. And we're seeing significant growth in the number of leads per listing that we generate. And that's probably the biggest proxy we have for genuine demand is how many inquiries do we generate on a particular listing or a listing category. And apartment condo listings in those areas are, you know, are going great guns at the moment. You know, very, very busy market. Anything that hits the market in those categories is under huge pressure immediately. And I think it's it's largely down to that pocket of value, that pocket of affordability that they offer. Right. So it seems like we've spent the last two years talking about, you know, people moving further afield for more space. When we're talking about the younger generation, it's, it's people moving f- further out. But it, it, by the sounds of things and kind of just thinking about it rationally, it's affordability based. Yeah, absolutely. You know, starter homes in communities within striking distance of Vancouver. I mean, it's really that simple. And it's pretty obvious, no matter what data you look at, whether you're looking at our search trend data or you're looking at the sales data, those value uh, offerings are where the market is really gravitating towards, particularly the younger market. And that's, I mean, that's good because that really does inform the future of the real estate market for Canadians' main metros. And that's something I'd love to see a lot more of, is like, how can we stimulate that side of the market? Uh, It doesn't really make sense. Uh, All the press that's come out about, you know, the equity locked up in Bank of Mom and Dad being distributed to younger generations so that they can get onto the property ladder. I mean, it's necessary because of where the market's gone. But what you really want to see are these, you know, good value uh, supply coming into the market to satisfy the obvious need we have from younger generations and immigrant communities 
to get a starting foot on that real estate ladder. So if I understand we're talking kind of entry-level housing in areas further out where it's basically, yeah, starter homes, like we need more density in, in those, in Langley. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's not as simple as that, obviously, but, you know, if you, if you were to put your heads together with municipalities and, and councils and, you know, perhaps set up uh, development forums with, with some urban planners and architects and developers and really ideate what the right type of supply creation looks like for these communities. And you have a master plan for growth over the next 10, 20 years. And you, you know, tap people on the shoulder like real estate professionals, real estate boards, uh, and ourselves to help advocate for the type of supply that we need to see coming into the market and provide data and insight to support that. I mean, I think that's what's required to really to shift the, the future market towards a balanced market. Because at the moment, we're nowhere near balance. And it's, you can see it in pretty much every real estate commentary on what's coming in the future for 2022. You know, everybody's talking about supply constraint. They're talking about demand pressure. They're talking about that despite significant headwinds like where the pandemic is at, where the interest rate cycle is likely to go, you know, what's happening with property taxes and other things that affect affordability. Despite all of that uh, real pressure, there is still this this long-term issue of supply-constrained market with high demand. And that demand's not going anywhere. I mean, I think even when we spoke about it last time, you know, there's obvious long-term trends around the major cities and the type of employment that they're generating for global markets and the type of immigration that we're seeing. I mean, all of this is just going to continue to stimulate demand, which is a great thing for an economy. It's awesome. But we just need to solve the housing issue. And I think that we can do that if we put our heads together. So, yeah, I, I think, and we've talked about it on the show all the time, you know, just how low the inventory has been and just how uh, bleak it seems just overall. It seems like there's nothing right now that's really shaking inventory loose. And it sounds like what you're saying then is it's not even an issue of supply creation in, you know, Vancouver, Burnaby, et cetera, but really we need to be going to Delta, Port Coquitlam, Abbotsford, Langley, to these areas that are further out and and densifying at a price point that allows for the entry level to to kind of buyers to to flourish and to find homes, so it's it's a it's a location density uh, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the great benefit and opportunity that we have here. You know, Vancouver happens to be what second behind Hong Kong in terms of the real estate average price of real estate relative to income, which is just it's not a good list to be on. You know, it really. <laughs> It just creates so many challenges around building a balanced and prosperous society. And so, you know, the, the difference between Hong Kong, obviously, and Vancouver is that we actually have a lot more space and opportunity to develop than they do there. You know, they're very much a, a landlocked, well, well, you know, an island in the economic context. And they've got a real challenge to expand. We don't have that challenge here. We just need to start thinking about it more as a, a regional development plan as opposed to, you know, just very specific pockets of traditional development focus. And you can see that. I mean, there's some really exciting projects coming out. I think I spoke a little bit about that early tip on on mission, but you can see what's developing there. You know, it's a it's a 
community and a council that are committed to development and and as kind of a sustainable development path for that community and they'll be bringing you know thousands of homes onto the market over the course of the next few years and that's the type of thing that we need to see if we're really going to solve uh, what has become I, I would say a housing crisis you know everyone talks about the affordability crisis but really that's just the symptom of not having enough homes for people to buy or rent or, or live in. So yeah, I mean, we see that on REW. I mean, you spoke about inventory constraint. Uh, across all the neighborhoods, we are 35% lower inventory in the lower mainland than we were this time last year. So, you know, factoring for the seasons and everything else, 35% is a huge chunk and not only that, but the prices, I mean, you saw the assessment data come out at the beginning of the year. All the prices have moved forward 20 to 40% in those same neighborhoods. <laughs> so, you know, 35% fewer homes to choose from. And they're all, call it 30, 35% more expensive. It's it's not a, not a great moment. So, and and we, we we talk about this question. I don't, I don't know that there's a, a like a silver bullet kind of answer, but why do you think inventory like we're 35 percent below in every area that you're and we're not unique right this is no it's it's, it's not metro vancouver only well yeah and you talk to agents in the u.s you talk to agents across canada and like inventory is the issue kind of in north america right now what do you think's driving it yeah well when you see those inventory levels drop like this and when you see a real listing constraint it does speak to structural problems in the market because you know, what, what do you look at? You look at, okay, listing inventory is down, but is demand uh, down? And, you know, certainly if you look at our search trends, we're getting just as much search traffic, you know, this time this year than we got this time last year. And so even though that was a very high dem- demand moment in the market, you know, more home seekers were online and, and more uh, actual transactions were occurring at any time in the last uh, 10 years, that demand uh, hasn't gone away. So the demand still exists today, but obviously the lower inventory level means that we have a lower sales volume level because there's just not as much product for people to buy. So the demand is there. Uh, The price point, yes, the price point is high. So that's definitely keeping people out that may have been in a year ago. But the affordability picture, at least in terms of cost of capital, is the same. Although, as we said, you know, the interest rate cycle may change that in the coming months. But certainly right now, it's still relatively cheap historically to go and acquire your mortgage. So the, the demand piece of the market hasn't really changed over 12 months. The only thing that's really changed is the supply. And, you know, what I would expect in a balanced market is if you have high demand and you have high prices like we have now, and you have fairly low barriers to to purchasing, at least in terms of cost of capital and things like that, uh, you should see you know, the sales volume continuing at a high clip. You should see inventory coming into the market if it's there to be had. And so when we don't see it come into the market like we're seeing now, there's definitely a structural problem. There just isn't enough home availability. There just isn't enough product. It's like everyone's talking about the supply constraints in other parts of the supply chain. Well, this is kind of the same. It's like everyone who wanted to sell a home in the last 18 months has sold a home. And now we're into 
the tough part where there just isn't enough product to go around. And that really speaks to a long-term problem. And the, and the only way to – and opportunity, by the way. You know, any, any problem is an opportunity. There is a fantastic opportunity for local governments to stimulate economic development and federal governments to stimulate economic development through addressing housing. You know, the, the housing boom of, of the 2020s, let's, let's make it one of those. But seriously, if we were to get serious about building more homes, uh, we would have a medium to long-term solution. And all the indicators are there to prove that we have that structural imbalance in the market. And so I don't think anybody would really disagree that if we built a whole heap more homes, we'd create a significant amount of economic value for the country, and we'd alleviate a lot of societal challenges that we're seeing with this lack of housing. Right. Yeah, and I, I would just add to that, it's, it's also, I mean, and I think we talked about this last time a little bit while you're on the show, but this idea that, uh, you know, everybody that we're sitting down with who wants to sell their home has nothing to buy as well. So it's like this, you know, it, it creates this, yeah. this further hurdle, right? It's, it's limiting people putting their homes on the market without the option to buy something. And then the flip side of that is investor clients, you know, and you hear this a little bit more these days in the media, but there's definitely some real estate hoarding going on because people's property, you know, they've got their, especially now, you know, we just got our BC assessments out. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. people are up on their revenue properties or their, or their personal primary residences and, and there's no signs really of this market changing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not yeah. super enticing if you can hold to sell right now. No, you're, you're 100% right. And, and that's always going to happen. You know, if, if you create an, an imbalanced market like this and there is supply constraint, well, then the people that are already in are going to hold on to that asset and see where that price goes. Because, you know, all of us are incentivized to grow our own uh, portfolio. Uh, so you've got, as you said, you've got a bunch of people on the one hand is like, well, I would move if there was availability to move into something that I like. But that certainty isn't there. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm seeing enough of the type of listings that I would actually want to buy to get me into the market. And then you've got the other people on the other side saying, well, you know, this price growth, I mean, most of the projections that I've seen from most of the big names, the banks and the, and the large real estate groups are all projecting 5 to 10% price increase during the course of this year, which, okay, versus 2021 seems like small price. But compounded with the growth that you've seen in the last two years, you know, you hang on, you keep going. And so all of that puts pressure on the market. But again, it comes down to just not having enough supply to balance that out. You know, those gains that are being made now are being made because of the supply constraint. And that's not a good thing. You know, Simon, one thing that I'm just thinking about here is, and again, like I mentioned before, we've kind of talked a lot about people leaving the center for the periphery for more space. And it seems like what REW's seeing in the searches, at least for the for younger generations, is, you know, a search for affordability and it sounds like you don't see these trends stopping anytime soon. Last time you were on, I think we had a conversation that left me feeling very bullish about downtown. 
mm. and it felt like we were moving towards you know a return to to normal whatever that's gonna gonna look like is that still in the search data are you seeing a kind of push towards you know back to living like 2019 uh, and and what trends are we currently seeing in the market that that yeah, may absolutely. differ from covid uh, kind of deep covid surges yeah i mean obviously the the kind of the top of the pops uh, in terms of neighborhood excitement relate to those regions that are still a little bit further out and they have had some new home supply come on within the last two years that have also stimulated more excitement about those communities. But when you look at the the traditional downtown neighborhoods and the condo stock, that has definitely seen a huge resurgence since we last spoke. So summer 2021, you started to see that trend accelerate, but it definitely has grown back over the last, I guess, six months. And now... I think I was reading a CIBC report as well, and they were talking about detached homes basically plateauing. They're the only ones that are that negative around price growth on that category, but still, you know, seeing some plateauing of that price growth, but they see condos and apartments in downtown markets really bouncing back and growing faster than the rest of the market during the course of 2022. And we see that interest as well. I mean, there's definitely been there was a period where those markets went to sleep effectively. You know, people looked at them, but they looked at them in comparison to some of the outlying markets. Now I think you're seeing a lot more activity in those uh, yeah, those condo downtown markets. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting now because I feel like it was uh, a different planet talking about downtown six months ago. Like it it downtown definitely seems to be back in a in a big way. And also the inventory, the ability to buy something downtown. We're seeing multiples again and we're seeing well, and we're uh, also seeing at least anecdotally in the last couple of weeks at least a couple of uh multiple offers situations i've been involved in prices that are escalating in kind of the urban core condo uh market playing catch up quickly it's it seems like it's dramatic you know the the comparables from a month ago don't necessarily uh, have any sh- yeah. indication to where this you know this sale is going to land so it does seem like there's some rapid increase. Yeah, I mean, we've got some markets like, you know, if you look at uh, Vancouver proper and you look at like uh, South Camby as an example, that market is is 80% up in search traffic and search excitement over the last 12 months. Wow. So there's a big rebound in a market like that. And that's kind of proxy for what's happening around it. So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot more interest uh, happening in those markets than there would have been a little while ago. Yeah, and as you say, and it is you do see that anecdotally, but you also see it borne out in the data. But it makes sense. But even that market could benefit from some support and some good news, if you like. You, you know, coming from South Africa and working in some markets like Southeast Asia and Latin America, it's not like I often speak or think about what uh, local or federal governments can do to help move a real estate market forward. But Canada, I think, is quite different. I think there really is an impact that, uh, you know, taxation plans and and certain public policies have on how uh, the market moves. And I think the condo market in particular would benefit greatly from kind of resolving that that hangover problem, that that issue around condo insurances, I think that's one thing that's adding to uncertainty mm. for buyers 
that could be really cleared up through a bit of decisive policy. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the market itself, it's moving, yeah, it's starting to move quickly again. Those urban core markets are definitely moving in the right direction and all signals are that they will have a good 2022. The year of the condo. The year of the condo. And I'm so glad you went the direction of, <laughs> I'm so glad you went the direction of insurance there and not, uh, not a demand, uh, oh, policy. Yeah, not, not another tax that should be. Oh, in, right? man. Yeah, yeah. No, please. We don't need any more headwinds. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, this, this, uh, you know, we got increasing interest rates. We got, I mean, foreign buyers are already taxed here. Now we're going to do that everywhere else. A 1% home equity tax. I mean, what I know, I know that it's the biggest tool in your toolbox but you can use it differently and yeah. my encouragement to policymakers would be to actually look at the the kind of tax incentives that could be provided to stimulate housing supply sure. you know i'm a big fan of things like uh, development zones where you have you know public and private forums to figure out what development looks like in a particular community or region uh, and then you incentivize that development over the middle to, to long term. And you can do that through tax incentives. But r- rather look at that rather than adding, <laughs> adding oh, taxes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we're all, we're, you're preaching to the choir here for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we want to talk about a little bit about REW because this is pretty exciting. And I haven't heard this story yet, but I, I, REW is is got some exciting news for our listeners, but I also want to hear about how a potato peeler inspired the the new move in this direction. I don't even use a potato peeler, uh, Matt. Like Matt, I, you eat a lot I, more potatoes. I, I, I'm a big fan of the potato, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I could speak to the potato peeler, but but I'd rather Simon speak to it. Uh, yeah, if you're anything like my son, he hasn't quite figured out that potato and fries are from the same uh, base vegetable. <laughs> he, you know? he hates a potato, he, but he, he loves hates a fry. Potatoes and loves fries. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, funny. Yeah, so we're launching um, REW as a as a new brand. Come tomorrow. So uh, REW remains, but the acronym now stands for Real Estate Works, uh, and the idea is really to understand real estate as a journey, a personal journey and and an experience, you know, not look at it too much from an industry centric point of view or a market centric point of view, but to understand it as a personal journey for a lot of people, you know, one that's fraught with challenges and uncertainty and doubt, but ultimately something that's rewarding and a worthwhile achievement in their lives. And so we're bringing that brand to the market, something that we think will resonate with people in their home search journey. And yeah, you mentioned the potato peeler, but yeah, we've been going through this process of trying to reimagine what our brand looks like and the type of promises that we want to make to consumers, the type of products that we want to bring to the market and the mission that we stand for. And we came across this this awesome story of the humble potato peeler. There was a there was a couple uh, in the kind of late 1980s and Sam was watching his wife peel these potatoes and his wife was suffering from arthritis. And so it was really difficult for her to actually peel the potatoes, but she had a background in, in architecture. And so she got out the molding clay and started playing with different handles for those potato peelers. And in the end, they went through thousands of iterations of, you know, putting bicycle handles on potato peelers and all sorts of things, but all with this goal 
of making it more comfortable and making a difficult, frustrating process just that little bit more pleasant and, and easy to experience with a particular focus on people with difficulties like arthritis. And that simple problem led to one of the most successful products that's ever been launched. I mean, if you look at a potato peeler now, that OXO potato peeler with that big fat uh, rubbery handle has become the product standard for the humble vegetable peeler. And that concept is something that we really think is important in the real estate market. You know, passing that normal human being test, seeing the challenges that people have in you know, a process or in a journey and trying to figure out how to just make that that much more pleasant to inspire the confidence and the enthusiasm for the task and, you know, just create an all-around better experience for people. It doesn't have to be so, so bloody difficult. And so that story of the humble potato peeler, which is now, by the way, in the, uh, it's, it's in the um, Museum of Modern Arts. It's uh, been installed as a permanent collection is a great inspiration for us in what can be done in the real estate market. I know there are a lot of companies out there that are trying to figure out what you could do to make real estate a kind of one-click purchase. And for us, it's not really about that. It is going to be something tough. It is going to be something challenging, but it should be something uh, that you actually enjoy, that at the end of it, you're stoked to have been a part of. And we think REW and the new real estate works can play a big role in that uh, just by framing the, the challenge differently and inspiring people through the touch points that they have with the listings, the data, the professionals that are going to help them achieve their goals. And I'm just thinking here, Simon, so real estate works, what ultimately changes? Because I'm just thinking like you, you've already mentioned, you know, the wealth of, of data you provide and in, mm. increasingly provide to, to potential homeowners. And it's such a useful site. Like, do you see this as more kind of educational content or, or what, is, what does this actually look like? Um, and can you reveal that at this stage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I wish it was a silver bullet, you know, but real estate, as you say, is not, it's not a one size fits all it's not easy to just get that right straight off the bat. And a lot of the things that we have been doing are going to play an increasing role in this new mission that we, that we have. But first and foremost, you know, the brand launch is about saying we recognize this as a personal journey. In fact, we've, we've coined it as a real estate adventure, you know, this uncertain destination, uh, this uncharted waters that you've got across. It is an adventure and we equip you for that adventure and so it's all the stuff that you've spoken about, about aggregating the right data and content, putting it into an experience that makes it accessible and enjoyable to connect with. And you feel equipped, empowered and inspired to kind of take that big leap or even just put one foot in, fo in front of the other when things get difficult. Uh, but there are going to be some material changes that come out alongside with that. You know, we've got a plan around creating a lot of supportive content, you know, Real estate marketplaces like ours, portals, can suffer from being just an empty shop window that everybody else's product sits in. But we feel like we can really have an opinion, you know, deliver some insight to the market, similar to the stuff that we've been talking about on the show today, but also package content in a more uh, educational and entertaining way so that people are really connected to what's happening in, in the real estate market. 
So there's going to be a content thrust to to the to the new plan, uh, and then there's going to be a kind of accessibility and delivery thrust to it. And so, you know, REW is a fantastic web platform, and I think we've really invested in the usability of that platform. We're improving it now with the brand launch. You know, we've taken some superficial steps to making it look and feel a little bit better, but we're going to be investing more in in the user experience of the site over the coming months. And you know, really looking uh, looking out to to later in the year, we're we're hoping to bring a, a an impressive new app to the market, and and that's going to be, I think, the biggest step in the direction of this personal real estate experience that we want to curate and deliver for our uh, home seekers. You know, there's a big difference, I think, between public platforms. And private tools and and apps sit somewhere on the private tool end of that spectrum. So we're ideating around what a novel experience for a real estate home seeker could look like there. But yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of steps still to go in this journey. Now it's just about you know really recognizing the type of role that we want to play in the market and the trust that we want to earn with home seekers in that process. Sounds very interesting. I, I do feel like the app space is lacking, like for real estate, oh, yeah. right? Like I, I, there's a couple out there that I've tried and it's, it's crazy because we spend all day on our phone and uh, I still feel like I have to go to a desktop to really, to really engage, the to, re- to really engage the market in a meaningful way, Yeah, which is sh- kind of shocking. It is also just as a thought on this, it's, you know, when Adam and I started this podcast in 2016, I do feel like we kind of especially with a little bit of hindsight, had a similar approach to REW only in that, you know, people were talking about, yeah, simplifying the process, the one click purchase where, you know, I think we were thinking, you know, there's, there's real estate's very complicated and it's nuanced nuanced Mm -hmm. and anxiety producing. And I think, you know, five years of week in, week out talking about it, 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 at least it never gets old for us. So yeah, the, the kind of creating an uh, an experiential portal for people is is kind of a yeah when the others are zigging you're zagging i like that <laughs> yeah i mean it's not so much that but i think it's also just what's it's what's necessary you know i, I think your point about it being a complex space is so right you know it's not it's not that easy you're talking about you know you know very well what the industry looks like underneath and i got to say the industry is doing a fantastic job I mean, we can talk about some of the highlights that they've had in the last 12 months, but, you know, they're doing, they're doing the tough job of matching home seekers and all their, you know, rough edges and dreams that they probably can't realize and trying to match that with the reality of the inventory and the challenges that those people are going to face. And they're doing a great job. I just think when you talk about a digital experience, there isn't enough of that recognition of the complexity of the market that, that people engage with, the lack of education that consumers have when they arrive on the scene, and the lofty expectations that they have of the professionals and the systems that serve that space. And so we think we can really play a role, you know, mediating and and managing, you know, at the nexus of all of those things. You know, meeting those expectations in a digital way uh, with great tools and services, casting the industry in the fantastic light that it should be cast to those incoming market participants, 
uh, and ultimately facilitating better matches between uh, what people are looking for and what they ultimately go and buy. So there's definitely a role for someone to play there. And, and I agree with you. Like A lot of that should be happening in a seamless, great experience on your handset. And I think we've gotten a long way down the road, uh, particularly with our mobile site. I think you know, 75% of our traffic is mobile uh, anyway. There's a huge recurring uh, engagement that people have with, with real estate through their phones. But I think we could take it to that next level. And so, yeah, I mean, that's not quite where we are right now. Where we are is setting the, the, the stage for that. You know, if we say we want to shift from being a public uh, real estate website uh, to a personal real estate marketplace, which is kind of what we're saying through this, this whole brand uh, release, then that sets us up for, you know, delivering the types of products and services that match that expectation. And so that's what the brand launch is all about for us is, is acknowledging that, that hyper-personal nature of real estate and figuring out how to build experiences that really match that requirement. Well, I, it, it all sounds really exciting. And as, as someone who spends far too long in the comments section of uh, the Georgia Strait and Vancouver is awesome, I got to <laughs> say, it's it's fantastic to hear somebody celebrating the industry <laughs> um, as well. Because I, I agree with you. I think, honestly, I think uh, I think the industry is doing a lot a bit, more that people don't see. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, it's fantastic. I mean, we're having historic transaction volumes, you know, despite all the challenges that the market throws up. And that's confidence in the council that real estate professionals are providing to their clients. Yeah. Um, you know, everything on the surface makes this look like a very hard thing that people don't want to engage with. But yeah. what must be going on behind the scenes is the type of work that gives people the the decision-making comfort to move forward despite all those obstacles. And so, yeah, the industry is doing a great job, but we want to we wanna really bring the digital experience component to that same level. You know, we really want to create a platform that people love engaging with, even more so than the web platform we've created today. That's awesome. Yeah, super exciting to hear about it and uh, the exciting things coming up with Real Estate Works. Simon, I, I'm just looking at the time, realizing that we are almost an hour in and we haven't even got to our, our predictions, our favorite part of the show where we, we dig deep on what's to come in, in 2022. Maybe kind of jumping ahead in our conversation, where are the next top hotspots in the lower mainland uh, based on the data? And then as a follow-up, what about the province? Like, where are you guys? Uh, where are you seeing a, a flurry of activity right now uh, in in the REW data? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting is we're also seeing some interprovincial flows. So that's something worth just bearing in mind. We've seen a huge growth in the search traffic going from BC markets to Calgary and Edmonton, in particular. Ah. So that's just something as an aside to watch. Uh, you know, I don't think we often think of what BC buyers are doing or thinking about doing in other provinces, but there's definitely a trend towards the value on offer in, in Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, and so we're seeing a, a big increase in traffic in those markets uh, from BC-based buyers. So that's something interesting to to watch in the coming months. 
Sorry, um, Simon, just thinking yeah. about that kind of interprovincial, have you seen an uptick in, or do you monitor, I guess, people searching for real estate in, in say, Metro Vancouver from other provinces as well? Is that on, this makes me think of that U-Haul data that comes out every year, like where where are most of the yeah. U-Hauls ending up in the country and what that says about yeah, migration patterns? Yeah, exactly. And, from and, and internal migration and to be honest, I haven't looked at those numbers specifically. We do track them. We do see, just like I'm describing now, like, you know, Calgary and Edmonton kind of popping up on the map because we see traffic going to those markets from the markets that we're strong in. Um, we obviously track that for Metro Vancouver and the incoming search activity. But to be honest, the, I guess the reason that we don't focus on it specifically is because it's always at uh, a level of of white noise and enthusiasm, and it, you know it's always frothy. We see stuff coming in, and you know, so I can I can do a bit of a deep dive on that, but I haven't looked at it lately, uh, so it wouldn't be top of mind. I'm not surprised to hear about Alberta though, because I I kind of monitor the Calgary and Edmonton market, and both of those markets are super busy right now, uh, specifically yeah, the finally detached, coming back. Uh, detached markets uh, for sure. For sure. Ah, well, that's well. There are a couple of there are a couple of things going for it. You know, the fact that it it has gone through such a long period of you know static or low price growth means that the the value on offer there is is far greater than BC, and you're seeing a lot of new home content hit the market there. And so there's still been a bullish and active development environment, and so you've got a lot of new home stock hitting the market. And new homes, certainly for younger buyers, really, and investor buyers, they generate a lot more confidence than resale, particularly in markets that you don't completely understand. And so we're seeing a lot of traction towards the projects that that are in, you know, pre-sale or or sales phase in those markets. But yeah, I just thought I'd mention that as an aside. I mean, outside of the province, there's definitely activity from BC-based buyers, and then inside of BC, particularly lower mainland, I think I mentioned some of the markets that are really busy when we were talking about it in context of the of the younger buyers. But those areas 45 minutes to an hour away from Vancouver have certainly had the biggest increases in views per listing per day. So that's like a proxy for demand. Uh, Abbotsford, Maple Ridge, Delta, Langley, Coquitlam, Chilliwack. Chilliwack's been busy despite all the challenges out that way. Uh, Squamish. And then if you go down to neighborhood level and you talk about like hot neighborhoods in the lower mainland, neighborhoods to really watch, you know, Silver Valley and Maple Ridge is four times up what, it, what you know, on a traffic basis than it was 12 to 18 months ago. Burnaby Lake is second on the list. East Canby and Richmond, three times up on historic traffic volumes. Edmonds and Burnaby, Mosquito Creek, North Van. So, you know, looking for those pockets of affordability like we were talking about earlier right. and and Pebble Hill in Delta. So those are the hot neighborhoods to watch, I'd say, in the next quarter and certainly where we're seeing a lot of the search interest at the moment relative to prior levels of search interest, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and then, and then elsewhere in the province, Kelowna is doing really well. I mean, there's a lot of new home stock coming onto the market there as well, but um, – Cologne has been a very busy market for us in the last six months, and I think it'll continue to be for the next six. 
Sounds like a bunch of climate deniers to me. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's another whole, that's another whole bull away. <laughs> Save it for ne- the next time you come on, Simon. I, and you kind of mentioned at least what other reports, reports you've been, you've been reading. I'm kind of more curious as to with the levels of traffic you're seeing right now. What in your mind do you think? What do you think the market does in 2022? And maybe even with the levels you're seeing right now, usually the, at least in our minds, that's kind of three to six months out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So forecasting question for you, Simon. Uh, I think I gave you this disclaimer the last time I was on the show. You know, you're not talking to a, a born and bred Canadian. You know, that's that's got a bent on watching the real estate market, but uh, certainly from you know what we've been reading and and what we are connected to on the data on our side it looks like more of the same. So what is the current conditions that we have? We've got that supply constraint. So we expect that, you know, even though we hope for more listings to hit the market, we we expect the market to be, you know, between 20 and 40% down on the listing volumes that we saw last year. And so that's always going to create some constraint on the actual transaction volume that we see. So it's unlikely that we'll see the same volume of transactions that we've been seeing through 2021. I mean, we we saw the peak of that back in March 2021, and we've seen it kind of retreat ever since then. And I think we're getting closer to those more normal patterns now. And so I think the transaction volumes uh, stick around there. And what that'll mean is with the high demand that we see on the site, you know, the traffic hasn't gone away, the interest hasn't gone away, but the but the inventory has decreased a bit. I think we will see price growth. Uh, I don't think it'll be as rapid as we have seen. I don't think there'll be as many multiple offer type situations as there's been, you know, that whole blind bidding conversation as well from a policy point of view. Is, uh, hopefully that goes away as this market normalizes a bit. And so we don't have to talk about doing strange things around the nature of, of the transaction and the offer environment. But um, but yeah, I see prices will grow, but they will grow far more slowly than they did in the last two years. Although, you know, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then interest rates. I mean, that's the one that I would really watch. I don't know what the impact is going to be when the cost of capital and the cost of borrowing goes up. It could be, you know, really significant or it could be fairly mild and and I don't know exactly how to predict that I, and I think it'll it'll depend significantly on what happens with the interest rate uh, in in 2022 you know if we see an assertive and rapid uh, change in the overnight lending rate uh, to address the inflation concerns that we're all seeing you know if that hits soon I'd say within the next three to four months if we see that rate going up and we see it going up quite quickly, then that's going to have a significant cooling impact on the market. If it's slow and gradual, then I think it's you know it's boiling the frog and, and people won't be as reactive to it. But that's the big unknown, I think, for everyone. This inflationary pressure that we've seen on other parts of the economy and, frankly, on, on the housing prices, all of that, you know, you'd think logic will prevail and you'll see interest rates go up. But how quickly is the big question. I'm hoping we get a good spring market under the belt before anything really changes. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are too. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, 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 we're watching it very closely, but um, yeah, if if nothing changes, I, I think we're getting, we're gonna be we're gonna be busy this spring. But that finance impact on the home search journey, I mean, that's one thing that is growing more and more important. And so I think, you know, one of the big shifts that you're likely to see in the industry over the next two or three years is this integration between home search and finance far more integrated than than we have seen before. You know, in the US, they talk about it a lot as this um, finance first home search experience. And I think even even REW, you know, we're looking into what does that really mean? How can we bring the, the financing steps and the mortgage education and the mortgage pre-qualification and approval processes uh, closer to and integrated with the home search experience? Because it is so vital, particularly in an expensive market like we find ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, right? There is a separation of the two spaces that seems unnecessary. Yeah, it's it's sort of, you know, the, the way it's developed is that the mortgage follows the transaction and the transaction is sort of abstracted from the mortgage. But, you know, the more and more important that mortgages and finance becomes to the home search experience the more it makes sense to almost put it in front of and or at least at the same time as your initial qualification of listings and properties that you'd be interested in buying. And so we're we're looking at that. I think I think integrating that experience is a is a great opportunity for us, but also a great opportunity for the home seekers that use our platform just to get a lot more insight to how those two worlds coincide. Interesting. And this is actually uh, coming off the heels of a conversation I had last week about purchasing with Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and blockchain being introduced to... Uh, Maybe which, that's your which, next step, well, Simon. It's interesting, but I, it's interesting, but I'm yeah. hearing that apparently, and you know, I've had conversations with other agents, I'm sure agents that listen to this show have had that question of from buyers who are looking to purchase properties with um, with crypto. So... Things to consider, but uh, we'll save that ball wax for another, for another conversation. Uh, Simon, um, we've got this section called the five where we tweaked it because we've had you on in the last six months. Five lighthearted questions to end the show. Do you have time to stick around for that? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, fantastic. So uh, question number one is, what have you been uh, binge watching to disconnect over the holiday season? And it can be a show or a movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, with the weather keeping me indoors, I've been watching a lot more than I perhaps should have. But I, I got, I got to binging on that um, grand tour on on Amazon. So the reboots and the newer stuff, you know, with Clarkson, and Hammond and May, and uh, I don't know, there's something about watching those guys bungle around some tropical forest or something that I, that I really enjoy. So, so yeah, I've been binging on the grand tour. Cool. Wow, I'm I'm looking for something to binge, and that is uh, that hasn't been on my radar. So Matt usually covers yeah, all I things used to tropical. Be a big fan <laughs> of the uh, the Top Gear shows, you know, when they put those out, and right. then and then obviously they stopped doing that show a few years ago, and then I came across this when I was on Prime the other day, and I was like, oh man, straight back, straight back <laughs> into that headspace. <laughs> right on. Uh, what song has been on repeat lately? Oh, I've got this um, event where if I get home and the house happens to be empty because, you know, 
blues doesn't get played much when my son's running around. But, um, <laughs> you know, if I do get that chance, I just tell the Google speaker to play Tin Pan Alley by Stevie Ray Vaughan is a quick way to relax. <laughs> nice, nice. What book have you been, uh, uh, what, what book is basically on your radar right now or any book that you've been reading over the holidays that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I, I, to be honest, haven't found a good one for a couple of months. So I'm looking for recommendations. If you guys have, if you guys have had something that you're interested in, I've picked up a couple, gotten a quarter of the way through and then, you know, passed. So if there's anything that you guys are reading that you think would be worth getting into i'm keen for a for a new read you know what i am uh always over christmas i try i move towards fiction for a couple weeks and i haven't finished Mm. either of these books yet but i'm about halfway through this is kind of a strange one but ernest hemingway's for whom the bell tolls which has been amazing kind of a muscular masculinity from the 40s in in spain which uh has been nice but Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads is another one I've been reading and I'm almost finished. And it is, I don't know if you've ever read Jonathan Franzen, but um, no. yeah, it's a fiction. He's, uh, yeah, he's very good. The, those are the two that I've been reading. And yeah, it's like totally escape from uh, from reality no, for, for me. Yeah, I could, I could use a bit of that. Uh, I think all of us could use a bit of escapism. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that sounds great. But but Adam, you I, you're more uh, you're more on the business books all. You know, all it's the funny time. though. I I well yeah, more I health read a, books. I, well, I read a few books over the holidays, but I'm reading right now Limitless by Jim Quick. Um, oh yeah, yeah. that uh, pop up on some lists. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I'm I'm only about a third or so of the way into it, but someone just reminded me of the Mike Tyson autobiography, Undisputed. I think it's called. Which, if you haven't read that before, that's a great, that's like one of the best autobiographies I think I've read. Tyson's, so you've read oh, that. Wow. I have not read that. Have you not read I that? I could get into that, you know. Oh, like I, I followed the whole Iron Mike career and Paul oh. from Grace and everything else. Well, so I I did he actually, he must, that, that might be written with, uh, I, I, with I somebody a, else. I have a feeling someone else actually did the spelling on that one but uh you know what's funny is i i think i i think we're all probably pretty close relatively close in age but we all kind of grew up with tyson you know we all grew up with yeah. i i think uh, i'm guessing yeah, Simon, 65 but, as well right Simon? Yeah, I <laughs> I, i'm guessing like i mean i don't know i was i was michael jordan and i was also mike tyson so it was uh that, that's that maybe suggests my my age but um if you grew up with tyson it's an interesting read for sure I'll have to check it out. Yeah, well, I'll tell you an interesting story about Michael Jordan. Uh, I used to play basketball a lot. In fact, it was my sport going through varsity. And as a teenager, I was way, way, way shorter than I am now. As you know, I'm like I'm fairly tall now. And I remember some friend asking me, like, how tall do you want to be? And I said, oh, I'd, I'd love to be as tall as Michael Jordan. And believe it or not, we are exactly the same height. You're 6'6"? Six, so, six? So, is yeah, that... I'm six six one nine eight, exactly the same as Jordan. Can't oh. jump nearly as high as he can, but uh, but, how, but you're <laughs> even more competitive. The same, the same. <laughs> wow, how are you? Because uh, yeah, we remember when you're in the studio, you're you're definitely uh, you're you're about Matt standing on my shoulders tall. Uh, <laughs> what what about your reach? Have you ever looked into that? Jordan's reach? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't play at a level high enough that I've got a stat sheet I can send you. But, um, <laughs> but, but it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can hold my own on the court. It's good fun. 
Speaking of uh, binge watching, have you watched the Jordan documentary on Netflix? Oh, yes. The, the, the Last Dance. The Last yeah. Dance. Yeah, I got into that. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. We yeah, spent... that was fascinating watching the behind the scenes of that because, of course, you know, there just wasn't nearly as much access to those kind of stories when we were growing up. You know, you'd, you'd buy the Chicago Bulls jersey or the basketball, and that's about all you knew about the franchise. <laughs> yeah, no, we spent, I feel like there was a, about a year on the podcast where we incessantly talked about I that. Just, I <laughs> that, just went back to it, I actually. started watching it over Christmas again I, as well. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I can't quit that documentary. <laughs> uh, start of the new year, what resolution have you set for yourself this year in 2022? Yeah, that's a, a good one. I I used to, you know, make a lot of things with my hands. And so there was a there was a time in my youth where I used to make surfboards and I really enjoyed that. It sort of brings out something good in me to have to think through a process and actually kind of execute it. So I've set myself a goal to, you know, handcraft a offshore rowing boat or something for myself during the course of this year. I'll let cool. you know how that project develops. <laughs> you, and you sorry you would make your own surfboards fiberglass surfboards or what's oh yeah yeah you know like uh you know the shaping and glassing and uh cool. yeah setting in the fins and the, the, the spray job and everything yeah no, I, I got into it for a while i thought i would make some money doing it um, i can tell you there's not a lot of money in surfboard shaping <laughs> at least not the way i was doing it <laughs> right wow. But man, speaking of, we often talk about Kokomo. That would be like that sounds very. That's moved to Nicaragua and uh, and and shape surfboards. Sounds all right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe life is circular like that. I can end up in Costa Rica on a beach with a, you know, with a little a little bar selling selling rum to tourists, and I can shape some surfboards. Holy fingers <laughs> crossed! No kidding. <laughs> um, and last but not least, I. Uh, we don't want to be specific about the holiday that uh, you celebrated, but was there a specific gift that you got over over the holidays? Oh, yeah, over the holidays. That's the most yeah, politically know, so. correct way of asking this that's question. How I, that's how I'm rolling <laughs> in 2022. That's your resolution. <laughs> yeah, well, well. For Kwanzaa. Yeah, yeah, you know, happy wishes and merriment <laughs> to, to everybody that celebrated any form of holiday over the break. I did unwrap a pair of uh, awesome outdoor snow slippers from my mom. Actually, that was probably the highlight of my of my gift receiving. Uh, they're like little sleeping bags for for your feet, and they certainly make it more comfortable to go and put the garbage out early on a Tuesday morning. Oh, oh wow! I've never even heard of those. That sounds incredible, though. Snow slippers? That's yeah, they're cool. They 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 honestly do look like a like a little sleeping bag that your foot goes in, but they. These ones I think I got are aerogel or something like that, and they they kept me warm while I was trudging up and down in the in the snow uh, over the last couple of weeks. You, you can you can't see Matt right now, but he's wearing the brand Uggs right now, which are totally <laughs> oh, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's I think he's misunderstood <laughs> the concept, but we'll, we'll we'll have to get him some some snow slippers. Yeah, there's I didn't a, know I could get snow slippers. There's a song, isn't there? Boots with the fur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually I think where he got the idea. Uh, I wrote the song. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Simon, how can people find out more about what you're up to? And of course, how can uh, people excited? This is going to be going out actually, I think tomorrow. So we're we're kind of timing this with the launch of Real Estate Works. How can you oh, find awesome. out more about... Awesome. Well, that's uh, serendipitous. That'll be cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll see a lot of activity from REW over the next couple of days. We've got updates coming to all our social media pages. We're sending out 
emails to our loyal customers and clients, as well as all the home seekers that engage with us. But yeah, if you want to find out more about me, just uh, follow me on LinkedIn or, or um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to chat. Well, we're, we're hoping to hang out in person uh, in 2022 uh, when this all calms down. So yeah, thanks again for taking the time today. And uh, yeah, that was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks so much, Simon. Really appreciate it. Oh, brilliant. Matt, Adam, it's always a pleasure. I hope 2022 is good to you and uh, we'll catch up soon. Likewise. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Simon Bray, president of REW. And, and uh, real estate works, I should say. Yeah, real estate and, works. And, and here's the thing about Simon. Same dimensions. Do you call them dimensions? As, as, I think, uh, I think as, so. As Michael Jordan? Six foot six. Six foot six. You know, it's funny. I pulled that out of thin air, the six, six, but I, I just remember I that. I think that's from, common knowledge. Is that so. common yeah, knowledge? I think so. I that think Jordan so. is six, six? Mm. And Manute Bowl seven, eight. You, yeah. Well, I didn't know Manute Bowl was seven, eight. <laughs> I don't either, but uh, yeah. I do know that. No, he's not no, seven, every, eight. That's no. ridiculous. You can't. There's, ah, no, I think he is. I think he is. You but, think Brady D is going to have to fact check that. But yeah. uh, no, I think Manute Bowl's pretty close to eight feet tall. Really? That's yeah. crazy. That that Manute Bowl would have a tough time standing in most apartments. Uh, what I didn't know is Simon Bray basically shaped surfboards in the past. Oh, yeah. I mean, Simon is, Bray is quickly becoming, you're, I, you're becoming a real fanboy of Simon well, Bray. Well, you know what? In our studio, we have all the Kokomo art and a lot of it is surfboard related. Yeah. I feel like Simon Bray is, yeah. He, he's the he's the goal yeah it's it's mostly uh it's funny though like neither of us really know how to surf oh absolutely the surfboard is, is so symbolic of this uh, fantasy life yeah and and you know what before we cut for the day matt we should say we've got some fantastic fantastic guests lined up next week we have friend of the show ace mortgage broker Kyle Green on the program. <laughs> and COVID getter. <laughs> and COVID, yeah, COVID getter for sure. Um, but here's the thing about Kyle. This is a fantastic episode. We talk about interest rates, what's going to happen with interest rates this year. We talk about great investment opportunities in the lower mainland in uh, the province and obviously in Canada. We also talk about Kyle's predictions. And Kyle is a guy who is, he's got a team of what, 18 or so 18 brokers. people, yeah. He's super active himself as an investor. This is a guy who's got his finger on the pulse his thoughts on the market, it, it's, there's a ton of takeaways in that program. And you know, the thing about a guy like Kyle Green, and I like to think we kind of operate in the same space in some regards, he is dealing with almost, not entirely, but primarily with investors. Right. So he's looking at deals all day long, right? And it's just one of those things like iron sharpens iron. So he's, he's always a great guy to talk to in that regard. And then secondly, you know, mortgage rates. Mortgage rates, interest rates, that's all anyone's talking about. Uh, I right thought now. you were going to the next guest, week oh. three, which week three of this year, I can't, I'm so excited about this. We have Lauren Siegel, who is president of Kingswood Properties. Everybody knows Kingswood Properties. Lauren Siegel and the Siegel family, what an exciting, exciting opportunity for the VRAP community. This is one of those conversations that we've had few episodes on the show, I would argue, that have been this philosophical, but also this kind of deep and thought-provoking and engaging in a way where you leave the conversation 
almost it, it's like time to to go inward and reflect on real estate as a journey. Real estate as a journey, and and also, you know, I'm still putting. We've obviously just got off a conversation with with Lauren, but courage to come back. Uh, right, he he is philanthropic kind of pursuit, and how that plays into his kind of this idea of courage and how that plays into his kind of philosophy on almost the meaning of life. I don't want to get too deep it's, here. It's, he's it, a guy. Stay yeah. tuned though. It's, he, it's, he's an it's impressive phenomenal. guy. It's phenomenal. And he's a guy that spent a lot of time trying to understand his why. Right. And, uh, and that comes, that resonates in this, uh, in, in the conversation as well. So some fantastic guests for this year. We have some new sponsorships we're going to be introducing and uh, overall, this is going to be the best year yet for the VRep community and Fired for the up, show. Ready to go. I can't wait. What else do you got, Matt? We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live, including the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for our back catalog for the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. Stats before anyone else, different types of stats, neighborhood sales ratios, we got deal of the month. We got VIP access for pre-sales. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the live wire. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And of course, we have tried and true private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. This is the best resource out there to look for real estate in Vancouver. And it's available for free at our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Go sign up for private client services and start your real estate journey in 2022 in the lower mainland, I should say, or the city of Vancouver, or wherever you want to look for real estate. I was going to say, uh, all over BC. Absolutely. We can, we can hook you up at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. For sure. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Have a great week, guys. Next week, Kyle Green, some forecasting. And uh, this is exciting. Yeah, it's no. just, uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Banner year 2022. See you next week. Take care. Two Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that 
you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 